0: Hi there, this is Jeff Otis, Senior Wealth Consultant and Partner at Evergreen GovCal, and you're listening to Coffee with Evergreen on the Evergreen Exchange. I hope you enjoyed this 15-minute conversation between myself and Evergreen CEO Tyler Hay on the future of professional sports ownership. And as always, thanks for listening.
1: Hey, listener, this episode requires an extra disclosure. Jeff Otis is an employee and partner of Evergreen GovCal. All views and opinions expressed by Jeff and any guest of the podcast are solely the individual's views and do not necessarily reflect the views of Evergreen GovCal. Evergreen GovCal's clients may hold securities mentioned in this podcast at any given time. This podcast is intended for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions or be considered investment advice. Enjoy the episode.
0: All right, so CEO Tyler Hay, welcome back to the podcast. Good to
2: have you back. Thanks, Jeff. Happy to be here.
0: We're now going into summertime. It's feeling different these days. Uh, I don't know about you, but uh, we just finished up our Little League season, going into All-Stars now. So the, the weather is turning here in Seattle. There's a lot to be excited about.
2: Yeah, and I, I saw the Bears are out in Woodenville. Literally the Bears.
0: <laughs> yeah. We had one actually in our garbage can this week, Uh, 4.30 in the morning, came through, we had the bear-proof lid, it wasn't all that effective, apparently, and yeah, the bears are out. So, I'm excited today, we're going to be talking about two of my favorite topics, uh, both sports and investing, and uh, it's going to be a little different deal for us, but I'm excited to get into it. So, what has changed in terms of the ownership of professional sports franchises?
2: I think, uh, well, I don't think, I know uh, a big change has really been, uh, has been two key areas, which is the first one is just the swelling overall price of franchises. I think Steve Ballmer bought the LA Clippers for $2 billion and that's a big check. There's not a lot of people you know that can afford to write those types of checks and so that's sort of forcing the leagues to reevaluate who they who they will accept as, as buyers of the team right i mean you're going to run out of people that can write 2 billion dollar checks and then the second thing that that's impacting this i think is just covid as as a whole and what it's done to owners i mean a lot of these teams that are, you know are not owned by you know mega billionaires have struggled throughout covid you know you're you have payroll um, you have no, um, you know, people in the seats and, and you're having to f- figure out how to keep your franchise afloat in very difficult times. And so I think that's also been a propellant for getting leagues to reevaluate um, how they approach ownership.
0: Who would you say has been investing in professional sports historically?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's basically been people. I mean, people with some type of you know, a passion for the sport. Again, I'll go back to Steve Ballmer. We all know here in Seattle that he wanted to um, bring a team to Seattle. He finally got frustrated waiting and and all that stuff. So he just wrote a check and he bought a team in LA. I think that's um, a pretty unusual example because most, most of the time it's been somebody with some type of civic allegiance, right? Like you want, you want to buy a team that's in your backyard. You want to go to the games. You want to be a part of that community. And so, it's, it's generally been those types of individuals where they buy a team in their hometown because that's where they live. And, and, and gradually that's changing because, you know, the sports sports investing or investing in professional sports franchises has been extremely lucrative, um, obviously, depending on. Um, The league, I saw a stat that said from 2010 to 2019, if you bought an NBA team, your franchise value soared by like 450%. If you bought an MLB team, it soared by 250%. NHL was like 190, and actually NFL was last at 180. And Anyway, the the idea is is just that sports investing has been a really lucrative area. And I guess the big change here is that as these leagues – have looked around at the high prices of the teams. And, and and a lot of this goes back to minority interest. There's, you know, there's a, a lot of teams have a majority owner, and then they'll have a spattering of investors that own a small um, minority stake. And these people have largely done this um, sort of, You know, sort of buying with a hope and a prayer that, you know, the franchises continue to go up because as a minority shareholder, you basically have no rights. You're just along for the ride, if you will. And so it's been fascinating to see the leagues start to relax the leagues as a whole with the NFL lagging the most NFL still the most restrictive. But it's been interesting to see some of these leagues saying, hey, look, we're going to allow. And it's not it's no longer individual investors. The NBA announced a partnership with Dial Partners where they're going to allow Dial Partners to raise a fund. And that fund will then go around to minority shareholders who have been along for the ride for a while and allow them to cash out of, you know, cash out their stakes. Um, and it's pretty interesting because, um You know, the Golden State Warriors just did this um, with a company uh, firm called Arctos, and what's interesting about it is there's a lot of negotiation because if you, you know, if you own the whole franchise, i.e. Steve Ballmer, and you sell the franchise to, you know, Jeff Bezos, you're going to sell that at fair market value, right? Whatever the franchise is worth. But if you're somebody who owns a small stake in, you know, say the san antonio spurs or somebody else and and you want you want to cash out because you've been invested for 20 or 30 years and all of a sudden you you decide it's it's made you a ton of money and but you want to be you want to liquidate that money you want to realize those gains that market has been very very restricted by the leagues and it's starting to relax and and what ultimately it's going to lead to is i think it's going to lead to a lot more private equity type funds entering into this space and buying out these small partners
0: Yes. would you say, is this a good area to invest in or why would you invest in it?
2: Well, I think that, you know, originally or or formerly, it's been people that had a huge passion for sports um, and and probably were in a position where they weren't looking at it from a dollar's perspective. Today, I think that that I mean, the returns have been great. The numbers I cited were, were very good. Ironically, over that same period, the s would have been basically on par with Major League Baseball. And so it's not necessarily something where you're saying, I know that this investment is going to return more than the s 500. I think what it is, is it's probably a diversification tool, right? I mean, when you're owning, if you were a owner of sports franchises, there's certainly some questions you'd want to ask. Which leagues do I want to ask? Which are growing the fastest? Which ones have, you know, maybe some limitations or some concerns around them? But in general, sports sports franchise ownership has been extremely profitable. I mean, you know, Al Davis bought the Raiders. I don't remember the exact numbers, but but listeners could go look it up. He made almost, you know, he made billions of dollars by investing in a team a long, long time ago. And, and there are actually a lot of um, owners of, of professional sports franchises that made all their money. By, by basically going along for the ride with, you know, the growth of sports and, and all the, the growth in professional sports in the U.S. And I think it's particularly interesting today in a time where more and more content is becoming on demand. Like, you know, you know, it used to be that if you wanted to watch The Sopranos, it would be Sunday nights. You'd have to be in front of your TV. And then with on-demand and what's happened with, you know, all the recording of or the content creators like Netflix and, and Amazon and Hulu and all this stuff, you've been able to really dictate when you consume television content, which has been a, a real annoyance for the networks. But, you know, sports is the one protected area in that, you know, you're going to be in front of your TV when you're, you know, most people. I mean, there are the people that you know, we'll record it and watch it later, but most people want to watch it live. So I think sports holds a really unique, you know, content value from that perspective.
0: It also seems like maybe an opportune time, I don't know, maybe this is is probably going in a different direction, but would you imagine that professional sports franchises that we can think of and know of will branch into esports in that arena at some point?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think that they've definitely already started doing that. There's a, there's a number of franchises that have acquired esports teams. That was sort of all the rage, you know, three years ago. I think what's, I think the, the big, big boom in sports franchise ownership over the next 10 years will be what's going on with legalized gambling. You know, the ability, you know, on a state by state basis to, you know, bet on sports is, is going to certainly be a, a big tailwind for the value of franchises.
0: You think that can drive some interest? <laughs> yeah, I think it goes. Um And, and by and the uh, way, by about the way, doing
2: something to a TV until the end of the game. Sure. And by the way, uh, the government has never been more eager to collect tax revenue, and and legalizing right. sports gambling is certainly evidence that. And I think another evidence of just how how captivating and 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 how powerful sports is is just the emergence of these non-fungible tokens or, or nfts I mean people are paying astronomical amounts of money to own digital rights to a specific video clip and so you look at you look at the future for for sports franchises in as a whole and it looks quite bright what are the risks of investing in this area it's a good question I mean I, I talked about one risk is if you're investing in a fund those funds are going to be acquiring you know smaller chunks of franchises and you're basically you know, you're a voiceless minority. You don't have any control over the future of the franchise. So if you have a bad owner, you're a little bit, you know, you could be in a pretty bad spot. So I think that's certainly a risk. I think that thinking about um, the future of each league on their own, I mean, everybody knows that the NFL has had um, issues with concussions. And and I think people, people buying NFL franchises would certainly be Wary of that. I mean, baseball, you know, has had its own struggles. Pace of play, the game's a little bit, you know, the game. I think I wonder how much, you know, my kids will be watching baseball or their kids' kids. Whereas other sports like the NBA seem like, you know, they've never been more popular. So I think there's obviously a a myriad of risks to to consider.
0: Plus, things can go the way of like the XFL, right? Where it sounds promising and then it just vanishes. But uh, obviously with the more established ones, you'd, you'd feel a little bit more secure in those. Let's talk about Evergreen's interest in this. And is this something that we're going to be pursuing on behalf of our clients?
2: I would say the answer is yes, but not yet. And, and by yes, by not yet, I mean, this is really in its infancy in terms of the leagues relaxing, who's able to buy. And, and they have a lot of reasons to to lower the barriers, right? I mean, you know, there's reasons you know the players a lot of the players i'm sure would would like to negotiate into their contracts some ownership um of teams i think that there's a lot and and just like i said earlier as prices get higher and higher these franchises the amount of people that can afford them (laughs) becomes less and less and so you have to do you have to you know kind of lower the barriers to allow other capital to come in and, and cash out some of these um these smaller investors and then You know, COVID certainly, like I said earlier, accelerated Um, some owners aren't their net worth is from the franchise. And so when the franchise struggles, they don't have, you know, Microsoft stock to sell to fund them. Fascinating.
0: Fascinating. uh, New landscape that's that's opening up here. Uh, I appreciate your insights into this area. Uh, I do think maybe just to highlight. You know, when you're working with Evergreen, you know, we're, our view isn't just on publicly traded stocks and bonds. I mean, we're really uh, looking overall investment options available to clients and digging through things that are emerging as new opportunities. So, uh, anyways, I appreciate you jumping on and, and talking about this.
2: Thanks, Jeff. Talk to you soon.
1: Evergreen GovCal is a wealth management firm with offices in Bellevue, Washington, Portland, Oregon, and California's Bay Area. We provide investment management to compliance, family office, and retirement planning services. Evergreen is accepting applications for new clients who align with our firm's investment and planning approach. If you think you might be a fit with us, follow the link in the show notes to fill out our prospective client compatibility survey.